from LPM. Louisville Public Media. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. I'm Rick Howlett, and this is In Conversation. Today, we're going to talk with Sadiqa Reynolds. She's stepping down from her post as president of the Louisville Urban League after seven years at the helm. It's been an eventful tenure, to say the least. Reynolds is the first woman to serve as Urban League president. She was a prominent and vocal figure during the 2020 racial justice protests in Louisville and spent years raising money for and guiding the creation of the $53 million Norton Healthcare Sports and Learning Center, which now hosts national competitions in West Louisville. Last week, the Urban League announced that Kish Kumi Price will succeed Reynolds as president of the 95-year-old organization. We'll talk about all that and much more with Sadiqa Reynolds, and we welcome your calls this hour on In Conversation on 89.3 WFPL and Kentucky Public Radio. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. Welcome to In Conversation on 89.3 WFPL and Kentucky Public Radio. I'm Rick Howlett in Louisville. Glad to have you with us today. Our guest today is Sadiqa Reynolds. She is the outgoing president of the Louisville Urban League, a post she has held for the past seven years. On November 1st, she'll hand the reins over to Kishkumi Price, who was announced last week as her successor. Sadiqa has also served as chief of community building in the Louisville mayor's office. She's been a district judge, Kentucky inspector general, Kentucky Supreme Court clerk, and a practicing attorney, not to mention a mom of two daughters. She's a native New Yorker, but uh, all of us here have long considered her a Louisvillian and a Kentuckian. Sadiqa Reynolds, welcome to In Conversation. Thank you, Rick. I am excited to be here with you. It's Thank good you. It's good to talk to you again, and congratulations on the uh, all the exciting things that have been going on in your life and your career, which we'll talk about. Well, first of all, Sadiqa, let's talk about what happens when you step aside at the end of this month. You announced your plans back in July. You gave plenty of notice uh, announcing that you'll be uh, CEO of an organization based in New York. Is there anything more you can tell us now about that that you're disclosing? Yeah, no, I don't want to disclose any more than that. I'm going to wait until right after the election to do that, Rick. Thank you for asking. It's a, I'll tell you this. It's a wonderful organization doing all the work to end bias. Got some really, really smart people that I'm going to be working with. And let's see, what else can I tell you? Uh, that's probably, that's enough. Well, we'll find out <laughs> soon enough. Uh, but you're, you're going to be staying here in Louisville, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've got two daughters. You mentioned them. Thank you so much. I've got a 12th grader and a 10th grader. So I will be right here regularly. I mean, actually living here. There's so many rumors going around people saying I'm leaving and I'm absolutely not leaving. I'm not moving to New York. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right here in Louisville. Last week, we learned your successor at the Urban League will be Kishkumi Price, who previously worked in the organization and uh, who you enthusiastically endorse. I'm sure we'll invite her uh, on this show after she gets settled. But uh, w- what excites you about uh, Kish and her leadership? 
I, I am so excited about her commitment to education. She has long been an advocate for strong education for our children. Even when she worked here at the Urban League, she led our education policy work. She was the first person to hold that position. I admired her then. I had a lot of respect for her opinion. And I saw her stand her ground um, in some tough situations. And of course, for me, I wanted to make sure that the Louisville Urban League was going to be run by someone with courage. You know, I, I, I am not a fan of cowardice ever. So um, intelligence and, and bravery are the things that I think you need to really be successful. And honestly, because of the world we are in right now, education is just the number one issue and will be for a long time. And so I think it's right that the CEO of the Urban League would uh, be very, very focused on education and educational outcomes. Well, we've been highlighting some of the big events from your, your seven-year tenure. The, uh, of course, uh, the Sports and Learning Center, which we're going to talk about, as well as uh, the racial justice protest and, uh, of course, dealing with uh, COVID for the past uh, two-plus years. But uh, let's start uh, talking about the day-to-day the -day work of the Urban League that's been you know, critical to so many lives. I was reading the, the League's mission says to assist African-Americans and other marginalized populations in attaining social and economic equality through direct services and advocacy. And uh, this, this is day-to-day -day work, of course. But what do you consider some of your, your, your bigger victories from your, your tenure as president? Hmm, great question. Um, number one, I think the thing that people don't realize are the number of people that the Urban League uh, employs. We've grown from 26 to more than 80 employees, and that matters because there's not another nonprofit in this city that has a, a higher number of, of African-American employees, which I think is tremendous when you talk about job, job creation and economic empowerment. I think it's really important that we're here in the West End really doing that work. I think um, that obviously the sports complex is a big deal, but I think the, the thing for me is I think through the legacy language and all of that stuff, I, I really think about being able to do this job in a way that did not compromise what I believed in or what I wanted to fight for, what the Urban League stands for, and to be able to really be successful at it. So um, to be respected, even with people who disagree with me. I mean, I think that was tremendous. And I hope it was an example for other Black leaders in this city that they don't have to continue to constantly compromise um, what they know is the truth. I think people, I think our allies and even some who don't consider themselves to be allies, people really want the truth. And if they know better, they'll do better. And it doesn't serve us well to not be honest about the suffering and the challenges that the people we are serving or the group that we belong to, you know, the challenges we're going through. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I've, I've been able to, to, to have a voice and to, um, and to use it effectively. I, I think that's, it's unbelievable really. <laughs> um, and to be able to raise money while doing it, which is crazy. Um, what else am I, I mean, everything. I'm so proud of how we handled COVID. I, I was scared to death. Everybody was scared. Um, but we knew, I, it, I knew the Urban League could not close its doors in that pandemic. And I did not understand how we would, would be asked to serve or what we would be asked to do. But it felt like, I remember thinking, you know, my God, what is happening in this world? You know, will that what will be left? You know, people are just dying and they don't know why. And I remember that I was trying to fundraise, even you know, in the midst of it all. And I called a woman at Goldman Sachs, and she said, "Sadiqa, there is a uh, 
refrigerated truck outside my house with dead bodies in it. Mm. This is not the priority right now. And, it, you know, I, I kind of had to slap myself and sort of get some perspective because I was still trying to fundraise initially, you know, trying to um, make sure we were able to serve the community, to make sure we had the grants in place that would allow us to work from home or work from the parking lot. Rick, let me tell you something now I can say this. In the beginning, at the very beginning, the height of the pandemic, we had a construction class going on and we could not invite them back into the building. And so um, some of the workforce team said, we are gonna have people in the parking lot. People who have cars can sit in their cars. People who don't will just sit in the parking lot. And I remember, I'm always worried about the dehumanization of us and how poor people are treated. Because I remember being a little girl who was sick and going to a free clinic. And I know what that felt like waiting hours and hours and hours. And so I, I just, I remember thinking, oh my God, if somebody drives by and sees us making people sit on the concrete to take tests, you know, how will they think about the Urban League? Is this the right thing for us? I just remember that mental struggle, um, but knowing we had to do it. And, and we had a timeline for people to be tested and to get the work, get their jobs. The reason it was so important for us to continue with our construction classes was because construction was an industry that didn't stop. So if we could help people get jobs, even in the pandemic, we wanted to keep doing it. And, and I'm, so I'm proud of that. I'm proud that we, you know, we, we just push through in ways that a lot of others didn't have to. And so I, there's so many, so many wonderful things that this team has done. I always say this, um, the, the people who work here, that little line in your job description that says other duties as a sign, mm -hmm. they take that, we take that so seriously. And I'm, I'm just so proud to have been affiliated with these people and with this organization. Well, how's the battle against COVID going? Are, are, uh, how, what do the numbers look like in terms of vaccinations and access to uh, treatment and uh, access to vaccines and testing and that sort of thing? I think that Louisville really did, and the governor just talked about it, and I've, had, I've even heard the mayor talk about um, really the numbers, particularly in the African-American community as it relates to deaths, the, our, our numbers being much lower than lot, you know, other parts of the country. And I think it is because our hospital associations, our public health department, um, our, our you know, um, insurance companies, they really did come to the league and other relevant organizations and communities that were underserved and communities that didn't normally have access and they created these opportunities for access. So what we saw here in Louisville um, and in Kentucky really was were better results long-term. And so I'm really proud of this governor. Honestly, I think he, he doesn't get enough credit for the way things were handled and how they were communicated uh, during COVID. But I'm also proud of our healthcare partners, Norton Healthcare, Humana, Public Health, UofL. I mean, there was a concentrated effort to make sure that people in areas that had been historically left out um, weren't. And I have to tell you this, Rick, I think this hospital coming into the West End after all these years, 100 plus years with no hospital here, those are some of the benefits of these partnerships, but also even people learning lessons hard lessons during the pandemic too. 
and recognizing that they did have to jump through so many hoops because they didn't have physical presence in this part of the city. So um, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of good that came from a whole lot of pain. And I know a lot of people have lost folks and certainly in this building, in the Urban League building, we've, we've lost um, people and family members. It, it's really been a tough time. Are you are you kind of back to normal at the Urban League with your workforce, or are you doing are people doing hybrid things, working some working from home, some not? Absolutely, a lot of hybrid um, every different days. So I believe that teams need to be in together because one of the things that we have seen, um, regardless of industry, retention is being impacted because people aren't having that water cooler conversation anymore. And so you sort of start these jobs and you're working from home. And there's some things you just cannot do from home. You can't deliver somebody's groceries from home. You can't go and you know check on an elderly um, person from your house. You can't make sure a student has a laptop from home. You've just got to be out in the streets. You got to be, um, you know, sometimes in the building where they need you. So we we rotate people. We don't have enough space in this building in, for everybody anymore. We are talking with Sadiqa Reynolds, the outgoing president of the Louisville Urban League. She uh, will serve until the end of the month, and then Kish Kumi Price will uh, be on board. Uh, Sadiqa was uh, taking a job as uh, CEO of an organization in New York, which we'll learn more about uh, uh, next month. We'll be back with much more with Sadiqa Reynolds after a break. This is In Conversation on 89.3 WFPL and Kentucky Public Radio. The Urban League team has led the movement for true racial equity in Louisville and this region, and for the past seven years, Sadiqa Reynolds has led them. There is only one Sadiqa Reynolds. <laughs> she has seen this organization through some of its most monumental moments in its history. Through her work, we've become a better Kentucky. All of us, where everyone has more opportunities to live and thrive, she has helped this state to move forward. That's Governor Andy Bashir speaking last week. There is only one Sadiqa Reynolds, and she is here with us on In Conversation on WFBL. She is uh, leaving the Louisville Urban League, which she has uh, led as the president and CEO for the past seven years. She's going to stay here in Louisville, but she's going to head up an organization based uh, in New York. She is with us here on In Conversation to talk about her tenure and uh, the future of the Urban League and the uh, city of Louisville here with us. 502-814-TALK is our number, 502-814-8255. You can send us a tweet, WFPL News is our handle. And uh, Sadiq, well, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your background here. How, how did you, how is it you came to Louisville? Because you're, you're a native New Yorker, right? I am. I was born in the South Bronx and um, my parents divorced when I was pretty young. My mother was a social worker, actually. And uh, she took a couple of weeks of vacation and came to Kentucky, actually, to, um, to see if she could start a new life. And she did. At some point later, I'm, my uncle and I got on a Greyhound and came to Kentucky, but we also moved to uh, Durham, North Carolina for many years. I went to middle school and high school there and then um, ended up in Lexington, graduating from high school. And I was a Porter Scholar on my way to the Air Force, actually. I was planning to go to the Air Force and my guidance counselor said, 
your grades are really great. You should definitely apply for this thing called the Porter Scholarship. So I said, okay. He said, but you need to take the ACT. I said, okay. So I did the things he told me to do. I think he might've even paid for it. I can't, you know, the school paid for it. Somebody paid for it. And I uh, took the test and then I left. I actually graduated from high school early. So I packed up in December of, let's see, I graduated from high school in 89. So December 88, I went back to New York, went to the back to the Bronx to stay with my aunt. And while I was there working at a company in Manhattan, my mother called and said, you got this scholarship to the University of Louisville. You need to go to college. And so I said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so I did. And um, I had my roommate all picked out and I, I loved UofL. I had a great time at UofL, a great four years. One thing I wanted to ask you about that uh, I thought was really sorely needed in, in this community that the Urban League helped spearhead along with uh, Stephen Riley is the Riley Reentry po- Project, uh, the, the expungement program. That turned out to be very successful, didn't it? Oh, the Riley Reentry Project is absolutely successful. The Urban League, thanks to the, the investment by Stephen Riley, and really his experience as he was running for office, finding people who uh, you know, wanted to vote for him and couldn't. And so he wanted to do something. So we started this Riley Reentry Project. And let me tell you, we have expunged more records at the Urban League than other organizations. If you combine all the other organizations that do expungements, um, we have done more in a year than, than those organizations combined. And we've done that with a partnership with Legal Aid. I can't say enough about how good they have been to work with, but we have picked up all of the cost of those expungements. It's been really exciting. And I have to tell you, you know, as a former judge, I've learned a lot about some of my former colleagues too in doing this work. And I, and I, I can't let this opportunity pass um, without saying that I thought Audra Eckerly's ruling um, against of an indigent citizen because he did not have the money to pay for um, expungement was just absolutely horrible. And obviously the court of appeals agreed with me and she was overturned, but it scares me that people like that are running even for higher office. Those are the things that really worry me as um, as a citizen of Louisville and Kentucky. I worry about the fact that, and I know this is probably true in other places too, we just don't pay enough attention to those judicial races. And they really, there's a lot of power to change people's lives. And um, if you if you read the language of that opinion, it's so tough. I mean, she's saying that, you know, there's no statute of limitations on, on, on when you can get this done. So basically you come back when you've got the money. And that's, that's somebody speaking from a place of power and privilege that doesn't understand what it is to, to really barely be making ends meet and, um, to, to, and, and understand the implications of having an unnecessary criminal record and not being able to move forward. So the Riley Reentry Project has really helped a lot of people with um, being able to move on with their lives, you know, parents to be able to go on field trips, um, people who wanted to be barbers in Kentucky. If you have a, a, a criminal conviction that is not expunged, a, a felony conviction, you can't be a barber. You can't be a licensed barber in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So yeah, you're right. The Riley Reentry Project is another one I'm proud of. The, the, also the work we've done around black businesses, increasing the number of black businesses and helping them to get funding. I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of all of the work uh, related to the path forward, Rick. I think um, 
for the Louisville Urban League to be in a position to convene, first of all, Black leaders, because that's where we started in the pandemic, um, but then to go beyond that and to convene not only those leaders, but our allies to say to the city, here is what we want. Here is why. Here are the reasons that people are protesting in the street, and this is what we want to come out of it. We are not raising hell for the sake of it. We actually expect change, and these are the things that we're looking for. Jobs, an increase in the number of Black-owned businesses and, and access to capital, you know, real justice and police reform, um, mental health responders to be able to respond where police should not be, uh, you know, it, it, real funding around education. And, and we wanted to make sure that the governor and, and all of our legislators understood that we expect for retired teachers and administrators to be able to come back and work during this crisis that we are still in, right? We've got a teacher shortage, we're in a pandemic. They need to be able to come back, get paid and receive their retirement. There shouldn't be negative repercussions for that. Why in the world would we discourage anyone who wanted to go into a school right now to help us with our students? We are desperate. So we needed to make sure that legislation like that was put forward and that the governor could sign it. And hopefully if it's expired, um, you know, sign it again, do whatever it takes to, to educate our children and then, you know, workforce development. So those are the things that we, we put forward in that path forward. And, and I have to tell you the other thing, mental health. We, I have deep concerns about, um, first of all, we had so many mental health challenges before the pandemic and you see it with the homeless population. What you really see are a lot of people who are self-medicating. There is no bed for them. There is no place um, to get treatment. And um, with the isolation of the pandemic, the increase in anxiety and depression and suicide, we've got to talk more about that. And so that's why the Urban League raised the money to support having mental health community days and, and, and really making sure that we were tapping into um, people who needed us to, to bring these issues up. And so we just, I, I could just go on. I love what we have done in seven years. I am so proud of the work. For those who don't know, you mentioned uh, Path Forward. This is a program, or uh, I think it was a, a grant, right, that kind of grew out of the racial justice protests, focused on uh, eliminating, you know, racial inequities in the city, right? Yeah, the, the Path Forward. So in the beginning, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, on March 13th, when um, it was the first day that we did not have a full staff actually in the Urban League. And so myself, my COO and CFO, we were in the building trying to figure out how we were going to make it and what that meant for our organization, for the people who work here, mostly, especially for the people that we serve. And so as we were trying to make decisions and figure out shifts and how we could separate people in the building to do the work, whatever the work was, uh, the police called and told me about Brianna Taylor. And um, of course, we won't even go into the way that they framed it. I've already talked about that, but um, hmm. I convened a group on Fridays of just smaller organizations and black led organizations initially. And just to say, what do you need? Because we have a bit of more infrastructure at the urban league. And if you need something, we want to help you. 
And if we need something, we want you to help us. And so we talked about PPP and how to get the loans and how to keep, you know, all of those things. And we also exchanged toilet paper and, you know, women's products and things like that. We drove around the city dropping stuff off to each other and, and for clients. But then it got deeper than that, um, really, when David McAtee was, was killed. And we decided that we needed to put together a document that said to our city leaders, our corporate leaders, you know, what it was that we wanted. And that document was a path forward. And it's really about how do we move forward from this place? And so it's, it's a document worthy of, the, of a read. I mean, it really is a solid document. We've now um, produced a strategic plan. We've had more than 70 partners and it's it's a billion dollar request, you know, for different things. There's about education and all of the stuff that you hear me talking about all the time and that I've just gone over. And so I expect that as I move out of this position that the Urban League and our partners will seek um, and receive funding for those very important things that we listed in the Path Forward document. You're listening to In Conversation on WFPL and Kentucky Public Radio. We're talking with Sadiqa Reynolds, who is the outgoing president and CEO of the Louisville Urban League. And uh, she will be starting a new uh, position uh, November 1st with a uh, organization based in New York, which she'll tell us more about uh, next month. Uh, Wendell has been waiting patiently on line one. Let's uh, get to his call. Hello, Wendell. Welcome to In Conversation. Thank you. I am Wendell Female, W-I-N. I want to thank the Urban League for being a part of my family for over 50 years. I graduated from Central High School, Kentucky State. When I graduated from Kentucky State, I went to North Carolina. I was given a teaching position at North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro. Dr. Katie Dorsett said that the Urban League has created a program for black instructors to work during the summer for Fortune 500 companies. At the time, I was about 25, and I was able to get positions throughout the United States. Mountain Bell Del- Telephone Company, um, the Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C., many companies, and I chose some of them. But the opportunity at the time, 50 years ago, was one of the greatest things that could happen to me as a result of been all over the world. But I want to thank the Urban League for the opportunities that they have created for me and my family and all other people. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Good luck to you. Thank Thanks. you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sadiqa. Well, you know, I love that because she brings up a point that I think is worth making. Um, first of all, I want to thank Wendell for calling in. And I also want to say that, you know, you have leaders for their time. And so there was Ben Richmond before me and Art Walters, and it just shows that this work has been going on. And we all do what we can do in the moment that we are sent here to serve. We follow the instruction of our leader, you know, and and, and we do what the community needs in the moment. And so I love that. And I know that that's what will contribute to Kish's success, you know, coming after me. I hear people say, oh, big shoes to fill and all that. They're never shoes to fill. This is about passing the baton and doing what is right in the moment that God has called you to serve. And so I I just appreciate her reminding the listeners that the Urban League has been here for 50 years and 50 years before that. This is 100 plus years of service in this community, and it is worth noting. Thank you, Wendell. 
Well, uh, let's talk about uh, what has happened since the racial justice protest, the death of uh, Breonna Taylor, David McAtee, as you also mentioned. Uh, the U.S. D- Justice Department, uh, we're awaiting uh, the results of its investigation into the, the police and the city. Uh, you know, what, what do you hope will, will come from, from this probe? Well, I, I do believe that there has been a pattern of practice uh, with our police department. I think that you you don't have officers throwing ice slushies at homeless people if there is not a culture that accepts that. You don't, and then certainly they don't record it and share it if that is not the culture. Um, if you think about the fact that we have two officers in prison for um, inappropriate sexual activity on the Explorer case, you've got the two officers indicted and and I guess going to prison for the um, slushy cases with the homeless folks. You have, I think there was some theft of time cases happening. You now have four officers indicted in the Breonna Taylor case. That's a lot in seven years. There is a problem in LMPD. And so more than just the bad system, because we know policing needs to be reformed across the country, but we've got a lot of bad actors who really do feel like um, it is okay. Even when you think about, uh, what's his name, that, that, that crashed the car and broke his colleague's back over there, the, the, the police officer. I can't think of his name right now. Um, it, it, or leaving the scene after the shooting. I mean, there's so many things where people just were not held accountable, did not expect to be held accountable. So that light being shined on our department is, is painful to watch, I have to tell you, because I know there are a lot of good officers who are taking a lot of heat. It's not a very attractive um, you know, place to be employed right now. And, and that's just, they it's unfortunate, right? Because that's why you need the good officers to step up and say something. And we have to make sure that we create a safe place for them to be able to step up when they see something wrong. And I'm not sure they've had that over the last 10 or so years. So um, I expect that there will be more charges. I am really curious about this Explorer case, Rick, because you know this, I've represented more than a thousand abused and neglected children in this community. I was a guardian at Lightham. Uh, when I practice law. And the idea that uh, children could be so severely abused and others didn't know about it, I, I, I just, I don't believe that. I think that there are other people who did know. I think that Steve Conrad was a coward. He was a horrible leader. Um, he was a horrible choice for the mayor to make. And it was horrible that he stayed with him for so long. Now, I think Steve Conrad is a nice man but I don't think he was a good leader. And I think that that is beginning and it's more than beginning, like that is showing through. And it is interesting to me that he continues to escape any criticism. The mayor has taken his lumps as he should, but I think that you have to talk about uh, this person who was in charge of the department when all of these things were happening and no one seems to be mentioning that. It is it is quite frustrating um, um, in my opinion. So. I expect there to be more charges. I expect that they're going to hit rock bottom and then um, there will be attempts, real real attempts made um, to turn things around. And I, and I think their people are trying now. I don't know how much they're trying. Um, since the Breonna Taylor phone call, they don't call. You know, they used to call the Urban League. We would try to look at video of police shootings. We would try to go over and talk about ways that we thought things could improve. Uh, that relationship doesn't exist anymore. I imagine that they feel um, that they cannot trust 
uh, me or the Urban League. And so, and they can't, I mean, you can't trust us to keep secrets from the community that is paying you to serve and protect it. So, um, but, but, but you can count on the Urban League always to collaborate on ways to improve any system, anything. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with all of that. But there's been, a, this city has been through so much and I do think we still need bridge building. And I don't think we can build those bridges without including law enforcement because they are citizens in this right. city and they're valuable. Let me uh, stop you there, Sadiqa, and we'll come back and talk much more. We're talking with Sadiqa Reynolds, the outgoing president of the Louisville Urban League. We'll be back with much more after a break. This is In Conversation on 89.3 WFPL and Kentucky Public Radio. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. Welcome back to In Conversation on WFPL and Kentucky Public Radio. I'm Rick Howlett in Louisville. Today we're talking with Sadiqa Reynolds. She's uh, about to leave the uh, Louisville Urban League, but is going to remain in our community, and she'll uh, start work on uh, November 1st as the CEO of an organization based in New York, and she promises to tell us more about that uh, early next month. We are talking about her tenure at the Urban League and her vision for the uh, future of the organization and the uh, the city, which she has uh, worked for. She's also been a, a district judge, a practicing attorney, and uh, uh, held uh, many other positions. Uh, Sadiqo, uh soon we'll have a new mayor and administration in office here in Louisville. Uh, what's your vision for uh, the next uh, leadership? What would you like to see, say, in, in the first hundred days or so and, and beyond, really? Uh, the first thing I want is an affordable housing plan rolled out that um, does not ever allow any developer to build housing in our city um, and use city dollars without including affordable housing. We have an affordable housing crisis. We've got to deal with it. So that's the number one thing. I want to see a mayor who's going to line up around affordable housing. And it should be really across zip code. So we don't need to concentrate poverty again. I think that's a really big deal. Uh, we want to see the continued commitment to increasing um, any kind of support for mental health um, workers or, or responders. We've got to make sure that those mental health first responders that are supposed to be working for the city now get to be full-time, that they're 24-7, just in the same way that you can call police 24-7, that we have the ability to call on mental health workers um, to help us out. Because we, we've even had some situations here at the league where we were forced to deal with things that, thank God, they turned out okay. We couldn't call police because we didn't want to exacerbate the situation, but we we needed help. And so um, I think I think that's going to be really important um, for us to 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 work on. Um, you know, I'd love to make sure that the next mayor is continues to be committed to education. I do think that that is something uh, Greg Fisher was committed to. He's been really supportive of Evolve 502. And Republicans and Democrats really across the board at Metro Council have too. 
but they had some issues. You know, there was a lot of back and forth about whether or not they were going to provide the ARPA funding that Evolve 502 needed. I think anybody in an elected office in this city needs to make sure that they're still supporting Evolve 502 because why don't we want to ensure that our kids are getting access to higher education? I'd love to see a commitment to Simmons University, uh, you know, the only HBCU in our community. We know the data, cities with HBCUs uh, turn out more professionals. We, we need that in this community. We need to make sure we are educating folks because we need these corporations to stay here and to um, locate here. I don't know if people don't understand this, but Humana CEO does not live in Louisville. Um, the Yum Center, the I mean Yum Yum CEO does not le live in Louisville. Now, obviously, Humana's got deep ties to Louisville, right? I mean, gosh, they've been so amazing for us. But it always worries me when the CEO isn't here. I just really get concerned, and you know, obviously, I, I mean, I think about UPS and Ford, and I just want to make sure that these corporate leaders understand and value our city because nonprofit organizations, we are relying on corporate investment to really help us um, you know, change outcomes in our city. And you don't really see that in places where you don't have the corporate headquarters. And so part of attracting and keeping those corporate headquarters has to do with educational outcomes. So you wanna make sure that your next mayor, our next mayor, is um, you know, using that bully pulpit and any federal dollars that they get to really help um, you know, achieve successes in education. So that's some of the stuff. I, I've met with uh, uh, Craig Greenberg and given him, you know, some ideas. Duraf reached out, but we, we didn't get to meet. So I don't know if we will meet or not, but I, I will tell anybody, I, I got like a long list of stuff I think they should be worried about. <laughs> and for those who don't know, Bill, Bill Duraf, the Republican nominee for uh, mayor of Louisville, Craig Greenberg, the uh, Democratic uh, nominee. The election, of course, uh, early uh, in November. Well, let's talk about the uh, Norton Healthcare Sports and Learning Center. Uh, it is up and running. Uh, I, uh, luckily, I have a son who ran track at uh, Manuel, so I got to go in there for a couple of meets, and I probably would have gone just, just anyway, but it is a world-class facility. Uh, take us back. Uh, how, how daunting of a task was it to raise the money, and uh, is, is did it come to fruition what you had what you had dreamed of back at, at the very beginning and, and now that it's in place is it what you were looking for yes 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 all of that yes and it was a very very daunting task and i i don't people talk a lot about the 53 million dollars that the sports complex cost in seven years and we, so we did that in in maybe two and a half years or whatever i can't remember the number but what they don't realize is that we raised another 50 million to keep running the urban league. So every year the urban league had a budget um, and, and to keep, to be able to serve the community. So many times I was, I was competing against myself uh, fundraising for both of these organizations and then add to that sometimes a rebound organization, which is a separate 501c3, um, a community housing development organization that builds houses in the city. So we have been able to raise about $103 million over the last seven years to serve this community. So you ask me one of the things I'm proud of. That's one of them, and not because of the money for money's sake, but because of what we were able to do with it. But the Sports and Learning Center, you know, I believed it would be an, an economic catalyst. I believe that, that this community deserved to have 24 acres of clean land, not contaminated land. 
and and I thought that we could build a state-of-the-art facility that would attract people from all over the country. It turns out I was right. I mean, we have hosted thousands of athletes, you know, people from, I don't know, more than 80 countries. Like it has been over, it's mm. been absolutely amazing. And some of the other things that I don't know if people were thinking about, but I was thinking of always, um, you know, the increase in, in the impact economically, like for the black businesses that we were able to support, whether that was from, you know, a food truck or maybe the businesses that have been impacted because they've been able to relocate like the Chicago tacos that's now across the street. But we also run our after school programming from the sports and learning center. Um, so we're doing, and, and I need to say this, this is really important. The Urban League has 200 seats, rolling seats a year for ACT prep. We are paying for our students to have ACT prep. And so if you set your goal at, you know, you want to score 22 or 24, once you get that score, you roll out and somebody else comes in. And then the other thing we're doing is this intensive math and reading uh, tutoring. So really focused in. So this is a different kind of nonprofit now. Yes, we're doing the social emotional stuff, but we are also lining up with JCPS to say, okay, how do you measure success? It's map scores. Okay, then that's what we're going to do too. Being able to do all of that at the Sports and Learning Center. And also we're building this health clinic next door. Um, so that will be open June of 23. And that will be, you know, serving seniors in our community. Think about the access that this sports and learning center has helped to, you know, open up for our community members. So it is everything I wanted it to be. And so much, I can't really say so much more because I have very high expectations and anybody who works with me will tell you that. But the daunting task of raising the money, Rick, um, we were kind of doing fine. I, I, first of all, let me just say this. It was never my intention to build a sports and learning center. In fact, it was never my intention to build anything. I expected that I would say to people, this is a good idea, and that those people would then do it. It did not occur to me that anyone would trust me to do it. I didn't want to be trusted to do it. Didn't want to do it. Didn't even think about it. But people kept saying, oh, yeah, that is a good idea. You should. Good luck. <laughs> Tell yeah. me how. And that's what happened. And so... If you can think about having to, let's just be really honest here. Initially, our number was 35 million. If you go back and pull historical records, the first interview I did on WFPL, we were talking about $35 million. That's what we needed. And then as we went on and you in the contamination and the lawyers and the all, all of the stuff, it was 53 million. And I remember seeing the 53. And wondering like, oh my God, what did we transpose the numbers? And when you don't have 53 cents and now you got to do 53 million. And then, you know, we were, we started at 35. It concerned me deeply because I was scared that the community would think I had been dishonest. I was scared that the community would be worried that I was going to fail them um, because I serve a community that is constantly failed and constantly disappointed by people making commitments. So I really spent, and this is silly now when I look back on it, I spent so much time trying to think about how to roll out this $53 million number now. And it, it, it doesn't seem like it was a big deal, you know, now that we've done it, right? It wasn't a big deal. Right. But at the time, it was so worrisome. Um, and then 
So we're rolling along, right? And we we need to have new market tax credits. People are saying you need new market tax credits. Well, I'd heard of them, but I didn't really know what they are, what they were, excuse me. And I was in an audit. The National Urban League comes in and audits all of your stuff. They audit the financials, they audit the, um, the programming. And after the audit, we were sitting down having a debrief. And I said, well, I'd like to tell you all, I think that we might build this, uh, this sports complex um, with some education there. And um, it's, it's a pretty expensive project. I, I, I think this is what we're gonna do. And so someone said, well, there's a group, you know, the National Development Council that the National Urban League has a relationship with, you should call them. And I was like, call them immediately. And so we called them and they came. And let me say this to you, that's important. And this is another thing that's important to me. I had to go to the National Development Council because the first organization I went to was One West. And Steve Poe said, no, One West refused to help the Urban League with the Sports and Learning Center. And what I needed them to do was to put together the capital stack. I needed to understand how to put this money together, you know, philanthropy, new market tax credits, uh, government dollars, whatever. I wanted help with that. I didn't need them to help me fundraise. I figured I could do that, but I didn't know the other things that I didn't know. And I offered them $100,000 a year to serve as advisors. And, and the answer was no. And so I have cried so much um, in doing this project. And I don't think people understood that because I could never really publicly, it sort of came out as anger sometimes. If you go back and look at some of the things, I would get really uh, frustrated because I felt desperation so many times. You know, you fast forward, um, we didn't get the, the new market tax credits within DC. And so we it looked like we were down for the count. It would take us years. You remember that the the YMCA took what, like 10, 15 years to get mm -hmm. their new tax credits. And I was not on that timeline. I did not have 10 or 15 years. And so Passport had those new market tax credits. And when that project went belly up, we were able to get those new markets. And Rick, let me tell you something. I'm walking down the street in Austin, Texas. Texas. I'm supposed to be at a conference, but if you know anything about me, I blow off classes all the time. And I was headed to breakfast and by myself, just sort of trying to figure out what in the hell I was going to do. And a woman called me from PNC Bank. I never met her. And she says, is this Sadiqa Reynolds? Yes, it is. Do you, I understand that you need new market tax credits. I say, yes, I do. She said, I have new market tax credits that need to be deployed immediately, but your pro project must be shovel ready right now. And I'm like, it's shovel ready. I'm ready to go. How soon can you give us the money? And we started doing all of this. And then we had a $10 million investor out of Chicago. We were going to get a $10 million loan, basically interest-free that we would be able to pay back. We built that into our performer, ready to roll pandemic hits, investor pulls out. Mm. It There was a lot of desperation. And so um, in March, April, May, in May, I just, it was over, right? I, I could not figure out how to get the money. I, I called um, Steve Traeger at Republic Bank. I called um, my pastor. I called... Um, 
another minister I called um, Jim Host. Jim Host was my last phone call. Jim said, Sadiqa, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you and I know you're going to do it. So don't you call anybody else today because you sound terrible and nobody needs to hear you sound like this. So you, you will figure it out. And I don't know how, but you're gonna figure it out. And Jim had been an amazing supporter and has been and was wonderful to work with on this project like so many others, Val Jones. I mean, so many people came in for seasons. They came in, Carla Deering, they came, they shared and they, um, you know, some stayed and some moved on, but I had remarkable support. The Urban League had remarkable support on it. But um, I, I really, I remember leaving the house and walking down Main Street and uh, just, in tears and just thinking, I cannot fail this community. And I cannot explain to people who don't have the weight of the community on your shoulders, what it feels like. I can just tell you, like, imagine your children need you for something. And not to say that the community is, you know, they're my kids or anything like that, but I just want to explain the burden of it, the burden of it, you know, and you, you, they need something and you can't get it. And you can't convince anybody to give it to you. And you, that's how I felt. I just, it was like, I, I just cannot fail. I won't let this go. And, and if it has to, then um, I would have tried everything first. And some of the phone calls I made, I, I mean, I do remember making one call where I said to someone, I'm going to write a book. If I fail, if I fail, I will write a book and I will give you a chapter on what you didn't do. Like I, I, you know, something like that. Like it was, I really was the bully that people think <laughs> that I, um, it, you know, as it relates to this, but long story short, we've raised the $53 million. And, and can I tell you, there are some folks in this community that get, you know, uh, they get hit with a lot because I think when you're rich, when you're wealthy and you're powerful, um, you know, people, you know, these folks own the city or they, whatever, you know, and, I, and I'm talking about the Brown family. I hear a lot of the criticism. They have supported the Urban League and me. And of all the people who have given money, they have never said, and now you must do this, mm. or now we expect this. And we have people who have written $20,000 checks who call here and think they own the <laughs> CEO. And, I don't, and it's just funny because I'm like that under where where have you been that you were under the impression that I could be owned that is or my voice could be muted and the Brown family has never done that and and I, I think it is important to say that they have the right to their you know political desires and we have the right to ours and, and so I, I think that um, I, I just tell you what this community people stepped up from hospital beds, $5 a month pledge from a woman in the, in the West End who won $500 in the lottery and pledged $100 to corporations and individuals and families that gave millions of dollars. And that building stands there at 30th and Muhammad Ali as a sign of hope, as a sign of what we can do together, as a sign of all that is possible <clears throat> in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm gonna have to stop you there, Sadiqa. Thank you so much, and uh, we wish you uh, all the best in, in your new position. Thanks so much for joining us today on In Conversation. Thank you so much. 
We want to thank our In Conversation production team as well. Michelle Tyreen Johnson, Laura Ellis, Brad Yost, and Russell Wells. Bill Burton anchors our newscasts. I'm Rick Howlett. Thanks for listening. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. 